Hey everyone, this is Saksham Endirata, founder of Lights Out Studio and partner at Lights Out Venture. Well, I've been onto something incredibly exciting for the past few months. I have met some of the most celebrated entrepreneurs in the country. This actually started with me identifying a gap in the Indian startup ecosystem. You see, even though startups dominated the past decade in our country, we still kept looking back at what Silicon Valley breeds in its culture. I thought it was time to change this. So here I am with an all new limited edition series where I talk to founders of some of the fastest growing startups in the country. And we ditch the traditional podcasting format that you've known. So sit back, sip that drink as I bring to you in the house. After working in tech in the Silicon Valley, he came down to India to tackle a billion dollar challenge, healthcare. That is the story of Gaurav Agarwal. He's a profound entrepreneur that has chosen to create impact through his tech innovation. Every single bit in this conversation dabbles in the experience and the challenge that this sector emerges with. India, being such a diverse country, healthcare is a huge challenge and tackling it with tech comes with its own set of obstacles. This is one of the very few tech companies of modern day that has actually been acquired by another giant, the Tatas. And today it is Tata 1MG. What goes on in the mind of an entrepreneur while actually going through an acquisition? How do you scale teams? What are the challenges you face as a leader on a day-to-day -day basis as part of such a diverse set of operations? This one's a clear takeaway for every emerging and established entrepreneur. Here's In The House with Gaurav Agarwal, co-founder and CTO of 1MG. I'm going to, I'm going to go back a little, uh, not back a little, I'm going to take a little higher, like a zoomed out approach and then okay. we'll dive deeper. Everyone would have independent perspectives based on their experiences and journeys and so on, right? I mean, you've seen successive rounds of funding, building a large venture, targeting, uh, the bigger Bharat, India and so on, right? So what is, uh, I'm sort of just curious to understand, how do you define entrepreneurship? Or do you even define it in a way that can be say, boxed? Look, I, I don't think, at least I don't, as an entrepreneur from an, on a day-to-day -day basis, think yeah. about how do I define entrepreneurship, right? We think What of, does it mean to you? Yeah, we think of problems, right? We think of problems that we've picked up. So for instance, if you ask me about, uh, you know, our mission and vision statement, we've always said that at 1MG, we want to make healthcare understandable, affordable, accessible, right? And then we are constantly just thinking about how do we solve those problems, right? How do we make sure that more people have access to healthcare services, more people have access to content um, or community, for example, more people have access to uh, affordable healthcare. And, we, and I think more than entrepreneurship, the problem starts to take over and define your day-to-day -day space then you know what does entrepreneurship mean yeah. yeah and is is i mean uh i would typically look at it with with multiple uh viewpoints right i would look yeah. at it from the point of view of how uh leadership would come into entrepreneurship yeah. how how yeah. management would yeah uh how uh risk taking abilities would and so on so is there are there some of those parameters that you sort of gauge yourself on and or, or rather uh, that you feel an entrepreneur should essentially be uh, gauging himself or herself on. 
Absolutely, they should. Uh, but I, you know, I'd be lying if I said that there's a formula. And I think, to be very honest, uh, part of it is just an itch, right? So, so yeah. to give you an example, and and I think itch is the right word. To give you an example, um, I get very, uh, very. What's the right word for it? I get very uncomfortable when things are in execution mode, right? Because we know how to execute. You know, there's a there's a there's a plan, there's yeah. a process, there's a program, there's yeah. a review, there's a yeah. team that's working. Yeah. It's sort of hitting its strides yeah. every sprint. You know, every month, every quarter, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. And and it starts to it starts to make me wonder and paranoid that what is it that I am not doing that I should be doing because where do you place yourself in the whole spectrum? Yeah, because you know, and and there I think more than entrepreneurship, just the problem space that you're in starts to come in. That what is it that you should be thinking about that you're not thinking about because yeah. you know that the team is busy executing and so they have their eyes on the ball, but you could be attacked from let's say left flank here or there. And I think a lot of what happens in entrepreneurship also is I feel that the audacity to take do tougher things just increases over time, you know, as you become more successful. Wow, okay. I would have thought the otherwise, but interesting. It increases, right? Because you've had success. Yeah. Uh, you've tasted success. I think at some point it it manifests from just surviving, succeeding to actually a legacy. Or impact. And or impact, yeah. right? What could you do that, that hasn't been done before, right? So if you ask me today, uh, I'm really excited about products that haven't been built globally today, right? And I keep excited, keep like finding people in my team saying that, hey, this is a career building opportunity. And if we can solve this problem, it will build my career, let alone your career, right? So, so that's how I recruit people. And I think that itch, as you become bigger, larger, just increases because you feel that <clears throat> not just success, but you also have the resources to start to attempt some of these problems, right? Uh, if I go back five years when we were smaller, scrappier, uh, struggling to survive, then I don't think anybody would have said, hey, this is a great idea to do. But today, you know, people don't care. I can I can actually go solve these problems and say, hey, this is what I want to do. Yeah, you're right. You're right, actually, because because at that point of time, uh, tomorrow or say a week or a month later. Yeah, it's was, very important. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. that that was yeah. the only viewpoint that you yeah. wanted to yeah. sort of relentlessly focus Correct. on. And today it's it's a lot larger. Very interesting. Does it get daunting for you at some point of time? I mean, in a way that uh, you feel uh, that this is just too much to handle. I've gotten myself on a flywheel that's <laughs> that's just getting bigger and bigger, and and I want to get out of it, or maybe not get out of it. I want I want a little bit of a break. Absolutely, I think uh, you know I've often given myself the analogy of a sine curve, right? And I think entrepreneurship is a constant high yeah. and low, and uh, you know, bit and and I think we all struggle with with just wanting to do too much spreading ourselves too thin um, and then saying, hey, I don't want all of this because of all the other things it comes with, you know, yeah. pressure, uh, commitments, uh, maybe mental well-being to yeah. a large extent. And then saying, hey, I just want this little piece of land for myself yeah. where I can go do farming or whatever. Yeah, right. right you know, right. I want to be able to take a break without having to yeah. think that I, yeah. I can I take a yeah. break. And so. You know, oftentimes when I find myself in the situation where I just feel like I've gotten myself into too much, my happiest place is actually working on a small problem, which is 
tough, exciting where you can you can just make small progress every day all by yourself without worrying about how this flywheel is going to come together because yeah. half the times you're just making this flywheel come together yeah. and make things move which is yeah. which is exciting very impactful but also very taxing from an energy perspective yeah, yeah. Uh, and having to do this year on year over cycle and, and over cycle. Again. Uh, yeah yeah. Uh, yeah so i uh, for me it's a uh, and i'm i'm just drawing parallels to a very different side of say the industry or uh, business spectrum that i come from for me my default state i feel is working yeah so if i'm if i'm having a bad day <laughs> i would work more than yeah. i would typically have worked yeah. and i'd be super productive right yeah. uh, but it's only a week later or a few days later that the burnout or the fatigue kicks in correct right so uh, and and that's when i uh, just just there's there's a release of mental pressure or tension and then i realize uh, now i want a break yeah so for me it's the uh, other way around from that sense but uh, uh, but i feel this is the only way that it should have been or could have been uh, the ability to be able to sort of be in a position to either create something new or think of impact in itself is empowering in a way yeah yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely and uh, yeah i mean so do you is there a, is there a way you re, you rejuvenate yourself man um or like go to things yeah look i i think if in this journey everyone finds their way to rejuvenate because otherwise it's just impossible to do sure. this right sure um for me i think reading is one uh, where i just and and as a rule i don't read business books because i think i get enough business uh, <laughs> at oh, business wow. okay so as a rule i don't read business books but you know a lot of uh, you know life philosophy maybe science i'm i or like history to read and history not so much but okay. i'm fascinated by evolution you know new physics biology how your body works systems work i i don't know why but i just am math etc so just yeah. reading as much as i can about some of those things uh, i think that's one um some amount of like workout so for me running is very therapeutic for me somehow you know i've i've tried different ways of workout you know trainer non trainer weight non weights but somehow just just putting yeah. your shoes on and running maybe a 5k wow um or or whatever i think is just very very energizing because at some point your body takes over you know and you get into this and do you listen maybe, to music while running on and off right and i i think uh, i live in i live in a busy neighborhood so there is enough road noise as well and music and road noise are the same white noise when you're running and there's something primal about it right where you forget and all the focus is on just putting one foot in front of another and just just getting through this this ordeal that you're in and uh, i think a lot of it is just about you can take analogies to let's say life or entrepreneurship right oftentimes yeah let's do that interesting <laughs> Yeah because look oftentimes we we make too much out of it right yeah. but it's just about putting one foot in front of another it's really funny there's this uh, very cool new york times newsletter which was talking about uh, there was this man incarcerated for i think 18 years or 28 years and then uh, he found this analogy in running that oftentimes life gives you a setback and injuries in running are like that right yeah. you sort of injure your knee etc and then you have to build all the way back like abi have had uh, covid for instance right? and i'm unable to run because you know people are saying don't run and every time i've tried to run uh, it's been it's it's been a little wonky and so you know 
a lot of things in life are about that. You know, you get a setback, you step back, and then you sort of try and figure out how you walk, crawl, run again. And I just love that about running, you know. Interesting, yeah. Is there a way in which you would say, uh, or is there a way you define what is it that you do on a on a month-on-month -month basis as a founder yeah. of a very uh, hyper-evolved, mature startup? Yeah, um, you know, if I look at if I look at sort of uh, the core areas that I focus on, right? Then on a week-on-week, month-on-month, quarter-on-quarter basis, one of the biggest aspects that I focus on is growth, right? How do we how do we constantly grow, right? How do we identify what are the core customer cross insights, areas. right? Cross areas, right? Yeah. Because oftentimes I think, and and this has been a great big learning for me, is that growth is not just marketing or product or operations or supply chain right it's it's everything put together yeah and how do you constantly evolve let's say customer experience or or service quality promise to actually get growth how do you identify new channels that may be coming up how do you yeah. become more efficient in existing channels yeah how do you build new uh, product fibers that can let's say get you yeah. growth right uh, engagement <clears throat> community etc so so a big part of my energy and effort just goes into growth and and is this is this by design that you that you set your days or months in this manner because you'd have to i'm sure allocate time for it yeah yeah so so i'm also i'm also very weird in that way that i i love chaos because when things become too structured i feel like i'm stifled and not enough creativity but then when there's too much chaos i have this innate need to just create some structure so almost every quarter, my whole calendar gets reorganized, right? And I will delete everything and I'll say, this is what I want to spend time on because in my head, these are um, sort of like the top uh, problem areas that I want to focus <laughs> that's, that, on. That's throwing the team that manages this calendar for you in such a flux, I feel. <laughs> and, and you know, then what happens is that I, I also, uh, as we operate, um, as we operate, I also learn that if, for instance, I need to look at growth, then how would I approach the problem, right? Understanding a way of the land, some amount of competition, some amount of innovation, some amount of learning, right? A lot of that just gets built into the mix. And then what I do is that a lot of the structure happens in saying who's the right people to solve this yeah. problem with me. How do I bring them together? How do I set the right agenda? And then how do I do it consistently, right? One of the biggest lessons that I've learned is most of the problem solving is just about figuring out the right problem and then just doing it consistently and learning over time, yeah. right? And if you can just do these two things, most of the times I feel we, we focus on the wrong problems, right? Like you were saying yeah. earlier that don't think about the impact. And if you pick the wrong impact, you often end up solving the wrong yeah. problem. So, so collectively, how do we just bring the right people together? I truly <clears throat> believe that diversity is great right the more people you can bring in Ideas, right people right different perspectives uh, and and not sort of uh, cubbyhole yourself into you know this is how we are going to think about yeah. growth right just be very open so so growth is one big aspect right the second is for a large organization like ours just just organizational maturity is a big challenge you know how do you make sure that you are doing things efficiently um on a day-on-day -day basis, efficiency, productivity, happiness, etc. So a big part of my energy just goes in, how do we take the organization from where it is to maybe where it needs to be? 
And the same, same philosophy applies, you know, get the right people in a room, uh, set goals, objectives. So for instance, uh, how do we make sure that they're consistent one-on-ones, right? How do we make sure that everyone in the organization knows uh, what is expected out of them at their level and how do they get to the next level, right? How do we make sure that performance management happens in a timely yeah. fashion, right? All of these are tough problems to solve. So that's the second so big even aspect. though it's already happening, you, you would try and just ensure that if it's standing the test of time, if it's relevant. Yeah, because see what's happening in a hyper-growth organization like ours, everything we do today is is outmoded, outdated, maybe six months down the yeah, line. Yeah, true. Right? True. Whatever we are doing doesn't work once the team doubles, right? And and how do you keep keep changing your processes, your structures, you know, making things more efficient? And actually bringing in new things, right, is, is really, really important. So that's another thing. And then the last part is, of course, product, product reviews. That's very, very close to my heart. So how do we just constantly learn and build outstanding products is very Do you very still important. get into engineering, uh, I mean, the within the team and try and solve for certain things? I mean, is that itch still there? Yeah, I think the general itch that's there is problem solving. Right. And so the engineering itch is more around what do we do to, let's say, double our productivity, right? Because you know how it works. Because I know how yeah. it works, right? Amazing. What, yeah. are the, what are the problems? And again, I think the the crux that applies there is, you know, let's identify that productivity is a problem. Yeah. Let's identify what are the things that can do it. And let's just consistently do one thing after the other. So so once I once I decide this needs to be done, then I become a pain in the life of everyone because <laughs> I don't do the work to them, but I say, hey, it's important. Yeah. And I need to now get into program review mode where you need to constantly feed me what's happening on this this effort yeah, yeah. so i uh, and this is a synonymous discussion or conversation with most founders right i mean everyone would say this or sort of be on the same page where what you're i i feel what you're ideally doing is getting into those micro zero to one challenges yeah yeah right? as much yeah, as yeah, you've yeah. solved it at a larger level yeah. Yeah. it's this it's the micro yeah. zero to one and you're like new areas yeah. get the right team yeah pull the right resources, yeah. try and solve for it, right? And and, yeah. and a lot of, bunch of those are running yeah. around. That's a great way to put it. I'd never thought about it, but you're absolutely I right. I mean, that's the, yeah, absolutely right. that's the way yeah. a founder's yeah. mentality, I feel, yeah. is wired yeah. in a that's, lot of ways. Yeah, that's a great way to so put it. So you still have a larger purpose, vision, and focus, yeah. but uh, but this is what you'd, you'd yeah. try and do in multiple yeah. ways. Yeah, and honestly, if you ask me, that's the most exciting part, right? Yeah. Is, is sort of coming up with these, or coming up with these insights and saying, hey, this is really important to do. And yeah. then, how do you just get it off the ground? Because yeah. getting stuff off the ground to where it becomes self-sustainable is actually the toughest thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Is there, uh, I, I mean, and you're saying this is what you've been doing off late, say for instance, yeah. right? Uh, was there a change in sentiment of the way you operate or way the organization operates, not culturally, but uh, say processes and systems wise, pre-acquisition versus post-acquisition? No, absolutely not. No. no. No, because, uh, you know, partly I think the acquisition has been very hands-off, uh, yeah. very independent. So I think that's been a great thing. Uh, but as an organization, we've always been evolving. Our processes have always been changing. We've been uh, maybe sticklers that way as to how do we raise the bar of what we do. Um, I think I'll, if you ask any of us, are we meeting the bar? Probably not. But that's a core part of entrepreneurship that you're never happy with what right. you have. And, you're and that's a good thing. Constantly trying to get better. Yeah. Yeah. So how 
I mean, so one MG is perhaps uh, one great classic case study, right? Of uh, a business doing really well and then getting acquired by, say, a larger conglomerate or a larger enterprise. Um, is that essentially and and not from the sector that you are in? I mean, just typically how the business ecosystem in India is moving. Uh, is that a great way to continue to grow, or uh, or would you or or should startups aspire to go into the the IPO route that they typically take? You know, if you ask me honestly, I don't think there's any right answer because right. There's, there's there are pros and cons to everything, right? right? Um, I would think that. If you continue to stay, let's say, independent, etc., yeah, um, maybe you feel more control, yeah. Um, but but then the mortality risk is also high, right? Right. Like we are right. seeing with a lot of companies That's what today, I want to dive in. yeah. Right. That even even <clears throat> ones that are fighting for IPO, maybe on on shaky sure. sort of stuff, right? right? The mortality risk is always there because, right. but but for us, uh, for us, a lot of this was about you know. What gives us the biggest opportunity or the best opportunity to create India's largest healthcare company? You know, in terms of trust, inherent trust in the brand, you know, the philosophical alignment on on how things should be done, uh, healthcare as a core, you know, trust mechanism, right? So for us, that this was the right decision to make. Yeah. So I feel uh, acquisition is a very natural progression of growth. Yeah. Right. If you typically look at evolution. Yeah. Right. This is how communities grew. This is how people move from one continent to the other. This is how the multiple species of mankind, uh, you know, uh, progressed by just merging or getting. This is into how we became single cell to double cell. Double also. cell. I mean, yeah. this is very yeah. natural, yeah. right? I feel the, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but I feel the 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 market risk or the or entering public markets. Say, yeah. IP is a diluted term. Entering public markets is a more synthetic way to grow. Yeah, which is man-made, which is yeah. which has its own yeah. set of challenges and yeah. multiple challenges yeah. because the system is governed by sentiment. Yeah, yeah, largely. Yeah, right. Uh, so, like we are seeing today. Like we're seeing today, and yeah. it, we've seen its shares of Correct. ups and downs, yeah. and right across the past two decades in itself. Yeah. So, I feel that's a that's a very synthetic way of growth, but. Uh, uh, but there is just so much fear of missing out of not being in that in that sort of a flywheel right yeah uh, or that sort of a journey of uh, uh, being on the market and in the into the public markets and the, and i feel the reason for that is the past 5 years at least in india we have seen multiple businesses reach some sort of an end game yeah the the startups that started in 2000 early 2010s or Late 2000, between the 2010 to 15 time frame, started to see some level of end games, which wasn't really Happening the case before, before yeah, that. Yeah, right, yeah. you wouldn't know a startup. Yeah. You yeah. start, but what yeah. what about it? What right? about Where do you it? go from here? Yeah, right. So, uh, and I feel that's become a very default state for most companies to start looking at growth. Whereas I feel the acquisition route is is so naturally progressive. Yeah, uh, but I, I think there's a there's a there's a big problem there, right? Because India, yeah. to, see the US, for instance, you have these really large cash cows, right? And really professionally run companies. You yeah. look at a Google, a Facebook, et cetera. Right. Right. Uh, companies right. that are driving a lot of acquisition. Part of the problem is that India doesn't have uh, a lot of such companies, right? Which are willing to A, uh, 
pay a premium, etc. I think a lot of that is changing, right? We've seen, for instance, uh, you know, Reliance do with Dunzo, for instance, yeah. right? Right. It's it's uh, it's actually fairly richly priced, yeah. Uh, which Reliance also didn't do in the earlier acquisitions, yeah. right? With, right. So I think a lot of it is maybe attributable to just India's market being very early when it comes to acquisition or public markets as a core growth lever, right? If you look at what it requires to, let's say, go IPO in India versus, let's say, an IPO on NASDAQ, yeah. the requirements are, are day and night apart, right? It's much harder. True. And we are already talking about making it harder still because of the crash in the public markets uh, for the IPO entities, yeah. right? Versus we are still much more constrained in terms of capital, right? Eventually, what companies need is uh, like you said, you know, growth and, and typically capital is what drives growth. In case of acquisitions, actually the synergy or the platform that someone else um, has built actually drives growth in addition to capital as well, right? And there's some trade-off to be made there. But I think that you're right that acquisition is a natural growth part, probably will become increasingly more important. Uh, but the market itself has to grow and become sizable to actually start to Yeah, and the right there. examples need to come in. Yeah. Uh, and I think the reason why, and uh, and you've experienced more than I have, right? The US markets, uh, when you talk about say larger players, even in the tech space like yeah. Google, Facebook, say for example, um, the majority of the market exists because there is limited diversity. Mm-hmm. Whereas in India, the spectrum of diversity is so, so wide that there are subsectors that yeah. you would not find in the US and hence the emergence of dominant players uh, is much easier. Mm. Uh, right. Mm. Whereas here, there is just so much happening. Look at look at the sector you're I operating. actually have a very different take on that. Okay. And my take on this is that in India is shallow markets. Hmm. And because it's shallow markets, which means that no one segment is big enough. And I'll give you an example. Back when I was moving uh, to India, right? So we were looking at let's say um, product sales for pharma products in the U.S. versus India, right? right? And we looked at right. Crocin versus let's say a Tylenol, yeah. right? And and the difference in just one drug is hundred x probably, yeah. right? And I'm maybe getting numbers wrong, but <laughs> somewhere in that range, right? Massive, massive uh, change in price, like yeah. hundreds of crores versus you know, a couple billion dollars in sales, right? Correct. So what happens is that my view is that because the market is shallow to actually build a big business and what happens is that everyone competes in that shallow market. So it's like a small pool, everyone's flashing around. So no one has enough space to build a profitable, sustainable, defendable business. Yeah, 100%, 100%, yeah. And And they hedge out multiple levels. And they hedge out. And so what do you need to do is that you basically now need to become this conglomerate, which is trying to do everything because there is no pot of gold at the end of, let's say, becoming, you know, an expert at one thing, which is not true in the US, right? In the US, the markets are so deep that you can pick a small sliver of, let's say, the market or population and build maybe uh, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of business, right? And I think that's what causes, so my view is that a lot of India's challenges are because we have been shallow market and subscale businesses as a result, right? And so how many hundred billion companies can you talk about in India, right? It was news the other day that Reliance was the first company to, I think, cross $200 billion, something like that, right? In the US, it's it's like powerful course. How many $2 trillion companies are you talking about today, right? 
And I think that's the big difference between uh, us and them today, at least as it stands. I also think, uh, I mean, it's a good thing that, I mean, see, look at the currency we're pegging. I mean, we, yeah. I may be way off here, but we're essentially pegging the growth or the, uh, I mean, the, the levers of success to be $100 billion. Yeah. And we're pegging it to a currency that 70x our multiple, yeah. 75x yeah. our yeah. multiple. So yeah. I, I also think that there's a huge yeah. role that uh, the currency exchange has to play because it takes so much longer yeah. uh, to reach up to that level. Uh, we don't have those metrics that people pride themselves on on an, on, on the INR scale. Yeah, look, uh, you're right. Meaning our per capita income is minuscule. Yeah. Our size of the economy for the number of people. Per capita uh, is minuscule. Disposable is very limited. Is very Poverty limited. line is much higher yeah. than... Correct, the, correct. I mean, so... Middle class population is very small. Yeah. We've talked about these numbers so yeah. many times that... Yeah. In India, all said and done, there's maybe 50 to 100 million people who are online purchasers, yeah. right? So those yeah. are, yes, you're absolutely right. And and which is why uh, to be able to reach there, you have to do so much. Yeah. Whereas in, in the West or in the US, you have to do one thing really well yeah. and just keep doubling yeah. on it or, and it compounds. And I, fee I, I think the other thing that it does is that because the markets are deep enough and that because you can do one thing and be really successful. Right. What that also does is that people don't want to dilute their expertise either, right? You feel that you can do another business, just like we're seeing in healthcare, for instance, yeah. right? Everyone now wants to do surgeries, right? Yeah. Because everyone thinks it's a piece of cake to do to yeah. open a surgical business, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, nothing against it. We should no, have no, more no. people trying to do but it. The emergence of opportunities yeah. is, is 10x. Yeah. Because yeah. of the diversity, because of the population, because of yeah. multiple sectors, there's so much that's happening yeah. that you're able to identify so many gaps and you yeah. feel that this is what you want to keep plugging in yeah. and you feel that there's a business model out of it. Correct. Correct. So, yeah, I mean, but, but so getting back, getting back to uh, say, uh, you've seen successive rounds of investments, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and I, and I love asking this to, to founders who've raised so much money across multiple rounds. Is there a way you'd say that this is what an investable founder mentality would look like? <laughs> uh, because it's a mindset that you're that an investor would yeah, essentially grapple with. Yeah, um, you know we've we've never thought about it that way. Like we've never gone in front of investors and and thought about. Are we investable founders, or how do we act like investable founders? Right, correct, right, correct, correct. And uh, but there's a mentality that they inevitably yeah. would bite into. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think a lot of it is sort of the vision that you have, how true you are to that vision. Um, I think the execution chops for us. To be very honest with you, I think the few things that have stood out, if I could, if sure. I could just enlist, one is. <clears throat> just the vision, right? We've we've always been very true to our vision that we want to do an integrated healthcare company. Uh, people have asked us, why not e-pharmacy? Why not e-diagnostics? Why not X, Y, Z, etc.? We've said, no, this is how healthcare needs to Love work. it, yeah. yeah. And uh, this is what we want to solve, right? Yeah. And we've been fortunate enough to find believers along the way who've said, okay, I believe in your vision and, you know, here's so some the help. the vision was created because of a fundamental uh, belief or impact that you wanted to uh, yeah. charge behind or was it scientifically or theoretically I mean academically evolved at you know a lot of it was uh, and, and I'll give credit to my co-founder Prashant because a lot of it was yeah. just seeing how the healthcare ecosystem 
you know, is broken. And if yeah. you look at healthcare more than any other segment, for instance, for a patient to go from being sick to being healthy, a lot of things need to come together. Right? Right. You need to have the right diagnosis at the right time, uh, the right doctor, the right medicines, uh, you know, the right care, the right therapy program, maybe the right insurance, the ability to pay, etc. So it's almost like it takes a village to get a person to do better. And we've always felt that, that okay, if you be an e-pharmacy, so what, right? You're, you're taking an offline retail channel and bringing it online, right? Correct. What's the fun in that? Correct. But to actually change outcomes where people are, let's say, becoming healthier, living better versions of their lives, right, requires all of this to come together. And, you know, I'd be fooling myself if I said that, hey, we have done it because, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's it's a, a journey, journey of yeah. a lifetime, yeah. right? Yeah. But even on our platform, the number of people that we've been able to get to, let's say, do diagnostics, preventive diagnostics and, you know, therapy all together, you know, is higher. So in some ways, we are leading people to go from just reactive to becoming proactive about their health, you know, and that's the journey that, that we've been on. So a lot of the vision has been, if you ask I me... I like how you keep coming back, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of vision has yeah. been just learning from these experiences and then believing that this yeah. is what we want to do, yeah. right? Yeah. And then then trying to stay true to it, Yeah. Uh, despite all odds, maybe we are just foolish or foolhardy yeah. that way, that, you know, this is the problem we want to solve and we don't want to solve any other problem. Um, so I think that's one. The second, I feel is that comparatively, our execution has been great, right? We picked a problem which I think was harder, you know, compared to... And, and, and there are so many stories, you know, back when we were starting out, our investors said, look, uh, just the pharmacy, you know, retail offline to online is a huge market. Why don't you just do that? And we were like, no, that, that's not exciting, interesting enough. And that doesn't solve the customer problem. And th that part, we were also very clear that we don't want to confuse ourselves. For us, the consumer is at the center. We yeah. will not optimize for anyone else. And we've had uh, companies which have struggled because they have sort of lost track of who their core consumer is. Right. right? And... Um, <clears throat> If you, if you look at stories today, almost every healthcare company says that they want to be or are trying to be an integrated healthcare platform. Right. 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 This wasn't the case seven years before right. ago when, you know, we it's started It's now out. become a buzzword. It's now become a buzzword, yeah. right? That integrated healthcare, we are doing everything yeah. on one platform. So, but but my, my retort always going back when we were in fundraise conversations is that, hey, let's see who's the most integrated of them all, right? And we would have... Uh, and this is where we've been true and, and executed well, right? If you look at our, our healthcare care plan subscription program, it, it's, it's designed to bring services together and designed to actually get users to use all our services together in an effort to reduce their costs and, and get healthier, right? So, so that's how our execution, I think, has been pretty good on that front. And honestly, the last is, I think, integrity. We've always been honest, uh, Integrity, it sounds maybe superfluous to some extent, but we've... No, I mean, always if it's said, ingrained, it, it's ingrained and it it's shows. It's very ingrained in our organization. Yeah. We've always said and done the right things. And we've said, you know, it doesn't matter. We've made mistakes, of course, uh, operational mistakes, etc. But we've always stood by, you know, integrity and we've never taken shortcuts on integrity. Hmm. And is this something that you now reflect in hindsight or was this always the case when you, when you were growing as an organization? 
I think these these questions, you know, they keep coming up, right? That this is hot, should we yeah. sell it, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, right. This is hot, yeah. should we do it? Should yeah. we put it in our yeah. pitch deck? And I'm in sure our it stories? still happens. Still happens, right? right? It happens, but somehow we've never been bothered by it, and somehow we've always said that no, this is the right thing to do, and. I think the other thing that at least I feel very empowered by is that when you when you feel that you're doing the right thing for the company, somehow all decisions become very, very simple to make. Yeah. Right. And so these questions have come up. I don't think we've reflected, reflected, because I don't think as a founder you have the luxury of sort of you know sitting reflection reflecting, thinking about what's what's gone well, what's not gone well. And we th- think sometimes, but right. but not not too many times and not in a structured environment. These questions come up, but then it's always been, you know, this is what we want to do. This is how we're going to do it. Our work speaks for itself. And, uh, you know, we it is what it is. So, I mean, amidst all of this, and, and I'm sure there have been also uh, multiple strategies uh, to building the team that sort of sustains this growth. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that's a challenge across most high growth organizations that uh, how do you build the most powerful teams yeah. right uh, is uh, do you do you build a top down approach do you build a bottom up approach and and a lot of us take inspirations from how companies in the west have built their yeah. teams right yeah. whether you build in silos or you build innovation outside of uh, yeah. you know your core yeah. setup and so on so how does how does that sit well with you as a as an individual, and I and and it could differ from what you've done at One MG. No, so so that, that's a, again great question, and I still remember back when we were doing our first leadership offsite. You know, that was when we had a leadership team to call to an offsite. Uh, we thought about uh, this back in 2015, maybe 16, I think, and we were like, "Oh, company is too big. We need to think about values." And each one of us thought about so between Prashant and me and I, each one of us thought about what values are really important and i we still can't think of better values to pick so there are four key values at 1mg which yeah. is how we like to run the company uh, one is uh, be a ceo which is you know you take ownership yeah. because ownership defines the core of a startup most startups Correct. fail because you know enough people don't feel empowered to take ownership so we want to make sure and this is something that i learned at zynga which i think was an amazing environment that if you want to do something you had complete freedom to bulldoze everyone in your way right and uh, and an organization that feels comfortable enough to allow that where it doesn't worry about you know titles designations fragile egos it's it actually says something about that organization so one was this was very close to me right um, and that's that's what uh, fragile egos <coughs> is an important one yeah uh, very important right? yeah and the the second is um, uh, empathy with accountability right so you want to make sure that we were holding people accountable but we were also empathetic and we gave everyone in our organization is meant to ensure that they understand right that when you hold people accountable a lot of times it's actually something that we may have done wrong which is why the person's not able to let's say deliver uh, their full potential right uh, i don't know how often we fail at it because we do fail at it right but that's that's a, a stated value right yeah at scale is difficult to be um absolutely right 100% of the time so, yeah. right so then uh, you know uh, done is better than perfect again like a core startup value and that that value is actually very nuanced and very tough because now when we ask teams to hit better quality they ask hey 
but you know our yeah. value is done is better than perfect and we're like hey as a company grows the bar for done needs to keep going up because yeah. the customer assumes us to do more and the last value that we've had is that team is before individual right we don't want superstars we would rather have superstars team and you know we've tried to build a company around that if you come to 1mg office today there's a lot of transparency we all sit on an open floor plan i don't have a cabin i don't have a designated meeting room right i go hunt for meeting rooms because uh, most of the times they are taken all conversations happen in front of everyone you know prashant sits next to me tanmay is somewhere else you know and we at least want to make sure that at 1mg ideas get get evaluated on merit rather than on my designation yeah. and title yeah true right? and that's what we've tried to say is up. there a is there an inspiration organization that some of this i mean not all of it because you would have customized personalized the experience i think we've taken inspiration from different places so for me for instance uh zinga was inspiration in some cases neta was inspiration in other cases right uh for prashant i think uh, mckinsey and unilever were inspirations right i think one of the values that i keep hearing talk a lot is all about is um uh, obligation to dissent right it's not a right it's an obligation you know yeah. and uh, how do you build an organization where everyone feels empowered to say no this is not right and we've had people who've told us to our face that this is not right and uh, i i think those are great successes so we we've all been inspired uh, tanmay is from disney so we've been yeah. inspired about uh, from disney about creative and how to run these large um, organizations but we, i think we've no way to avoid being inspired in in long careers right yeah. and uh, and is this part of just going back to what you said about growth or just trying to solve yeah. some of those challenges is this part of one of those things that you also want to keep uh, or you keep working on where you're like hey are we sticking to some of these processes or systems that have evolved from these core values I think um yeah yes and yes and no really I mean we don't look at processes uh, we typically like to be very process light because um, yeah. unfortunately in most especially most organizations that get to our size actually we lose track of process becomes a goal in and of itself yeah. right and I want to kill processes like I want I want process to be there to serve a certain purpose not the other way around right typically we don't think of processes but our yeah, core can become a deterrent it it yeah and our, our core values actually drive how we do our business right right uh, for instance when we don't see people taking ownership then you know we cite okay you're not being a ceo and this is what we expect you from being a ceo right or i am being a ceo or when someone does a great job and let's say solves a customer complaint then we say hey this person was being a right. ceo and actually did a great job here right so it drives how we do things not necessarily processes do you personally uh feel there's there's a, there's a lot that's happening around in the world and uh while the focus exists on what you guys are building right yeah. or what you individually are trying to solve in terms of impact uh there's a lot happening in terms of technology as well you're yeah. a tech company there's yeah. there's there's the emergence of web3 uh there's a whole there, there are a bunch of new category sectors that keep emerging do you ever think that you you feel the need to integrate some of these do you feel the need to innovate try test some of these new yeah. tech uh, uh, technology uh sort of waves that are going around absolutely all the time in fact um even in healthcare and and this is something that happens organically 
partly because we are connected to the ecosystem. So innovations in health keep coming to us all the time, right? right. So I'll give you some examples. If you look at diagnostics, for instance, there's a huge, uh, maybe five-year trend of point of care, right? Where where giving your blood sample, it going to a lab, etc., is going to go away, and there's going to be this nifty machine on your desk where you give a drop of blood, uh, show Theranosis, screwed it for everyone else. But <laughs> I, I think at some point that's yeah. that's going to become the future. Yeah. In fact, I was reading about this guy who's um, who used to do sensors at Apple for the Apple Watch, yeah. but now has a point of care company where you can do a few drops of blood and can basically give you a series of stats. So, in general, I think we are very connected in the healthcare ecosystem. So we see enough um, business models, process innovations happening uh, in healthcare. So that's one aspect that we constantly keep our eyes on and figure out where is it that we need to adjust. Um, how we, let's say, acquire customers, grow our businesses, or new services to launch. When it comes to technology, uh, a lot of our innovations uh, driven by core, core needs of scalability, efficiency, yeah. productivity, right? And, and I think that's where a lot of the conversation gets driven, right? So for instance, low code, no code, right? Yeah. It's really important for us in a lot of what we do uh, from a supply chain, admin dashboard, supply chain perspective, right? How do we actually write less code and do more feature work, right? Um, when it comes to, honestly, if you ask me when it comes to Web3 and blockchain, we think we have a long way to go before they start to become relevant for healthcare ecosystem, at least for the work right. that we are doing. But a lot of other stuff is, is very, very interesting and important, you know, new databases, new API systems, new documentation systems, right? So all of that stuff happens driven by the score, you know, scale, security, um, efficiency, productivity aspects yeah. and keeps happening. Yeah. yeah. The sector that sort of you've, you've embarked on, right? I mean, uh, I feel there's, there are two ways, two major challenges. A lot of it is broken. Yeah. The other part of it is so much opacity around it. Yeah. Right? Um, does it sometimes become a bit of a, of a, sort of an anchor in a way that we're solving for these things, but uh, but there's, there are multiple limitations, there are, there's policy, there's regulation. Does that ever become a bit of a stickler in your mindset? It does, it does for sure. Uh, but I also feel that there's so much to do um, despite that, let's say, being a downer. Right. And uh, for us, opacity is, is really, really core. So because when we talk about, 1MG started actually not as an e-commerce platform. Correct. It started as a content platform for yeah. medicines. And the yeah. reason we started that was because there was pricing opacity around drugs, yeah. right? You have hundreds of drugs which are identical, often made in the same factory, but actually sold at very different prices, right? And why should that be? Why should a consumer not know? And how do you uh, how do you empower him with that information that, hey, the drug that your doctor has prescribed yeah. actually is identical to this other drug, which is maybe 80% <clears throat> cheaper, right? And you can save, you can save money. So if you look at opacity, there's a ton of areas to work on and regulation honestly doesn't get in your way there, right? And so, so I think there's enough opportunity to innovate and explore there. And regulation in India is a challenge, but I also yeah, feel it it's moving, I think it's moving at a reasonable clip. Yeah, the, if you look at just say the past two and a half decades, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the last five years have been yeah. more progressive and yeah. evolved than yeah. the first yeah. two decades, right? Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, and just sort of tapering towards the end of 
what we're discussing uh, just overall in terms of the the entrepreneurial or startup ecosystem in india uh, what's your take on whether it's today it's collaborative or do you think it's still very competitive because i know your beliefs or some sort of learnings would stem from from the west and it's 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 hyper collaborative out there very collaborative man yeah and uh, you know in fact i keep giving this example to my team whenever look i i i've always been a classic tech and product guy hmm. but today but deeply interested in business right first principles problem solver um when it comes to supply chain like i've solved problems across the board today i look at growth you know look at pnl look at balance sheet in fact tech is maybe 10 20% of my time today but back when i wanted to learn about growth i said hey i need uh, you know 5 10 recommendations i reached out to people on linkedin um so many people have given so much time and learning and people are actually very willing to share it's it's actually probably one of the most rewarding aspects of the entrepreneurship journey is that yeah. people are very very willing to share um if you ask them nicely yeah. right and i've like and I, i think when you operate in such an ecosystem because a lot of differentiation comes from just execution and just Correct. doing it consistently right and everyone recognizes that that ideas are out there information has become cheap if you have an idea yeah. you know there's yeah. there's a blog about it someone's yeah. talked about it yeah. right someone's written like a yeah. full article someone's yeah. done a presentation right so you can get information everywhere it's not like if i don't give you information you're not going to learn about it from somewhere else yeah. right an enterprising person should be able to will be able to find it yeah. one way or another but people are actually very very um I would say at least in my experience people are very friendly very helpful and I I've, I've reached out to people for everything for for uh, you know policy connections for organizational brainstorming for uh, you know leadership coaching for growth for product for business everything and people are very very happy to share and willing to share yeah i think uh, the positive some mentality is sort of creeping in so much yeah. better right because if someone else progresses which means yeah. there's growth overall yeah 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 so that's great yeah just couple of last bits right i mean you've dabbled across multiple roles hmm. right and uh, you would have enjoyed some some would have been by definition some would, some would have been by choice and so on right yeah uh, if you were to pick something that you that you truly enjoy doing uh, and it may not be that a founder should be doing hmm. what what would that look like You know, first of all, I think a founder has to do everything. No, for sure. I mean, <laughs> if, if if there's an innate interest or passion, that's something yeah. uh, that that you're passionate about. I keep going back to like every time I'm thinking about product, uh, that's when I'm the happiest, right? And it's just so much fun and so diverse to think about product because it's a truly cross-functional problem. I think more than anything the the reason I love product is because it's also sort of like an insight into ourselves because yeah. it's deeply uh psychological right you're thinking about what's a customer's psyche um how do you convince them to do x y and z how do you deliver uh some amount of delight right we talk about delight why why should product deliver delight so right? the customer end of the spectrum the customer end of the spectrum is is really really um energizing encouraging for me no interesting i i mean uh very few founders would say this because uh, a lot of them would enjoy the business end of the spectrum yeah. right yeah. uh 
but uh, no, but yeah, this is yeah, and I've I've thought about it. You know, so there are founders who are just very interested in finding the next revenue opportunity and <coughs> going after it. Right? Yeah, <clears throat> for me, I'm I'm very excited about finding you know how to get customers to do more on the platform. Right? How do I bring more value to that? The evolution of the product itself. The evolution of the product itself. Yeah. You know. There's a certain number of people coming. How do I add more value to their life? How do I solve another problem? Because they're already coming to me for X, Y, and Z things, right? And a lot of the thoughts. So I think of business as well, but I don't start from revenue first. I think yeah. maybe product and problems first. Yeah. And then a lot of uh, I think prioritization automatically happens because you think whether this is a worth worthwhile problem to think about or not. And does this get discussed at? At founders level internally, or is it just you? It get dis- discussed at all levels. So founder level, of course, uh, you know, uh, between uh, Prashant and me and I, we have yeah. different approaches to problems. So we discuss some of our ideas there, uh, get thoughts, opinions, etc. Uh, a lot of it gets discussed. So I think all of us have brainstorm groups yeah. within uh, within our companies as well. People who are maybe positive. For our to to hear our ideas, and then also critical to to maybe enhance it. Yeah, you uh, need you you need uh, correct those uh, because oftentimes yeah. what happens is you think of an idea at a very early stage, and it's not the best idea, right? There may be something of yeah. a of a kernel there, but it's not the best idea. And then you need someone to actively work with you on on taking it to the next level, right? Yeah. So so we I have a small set of people who are really sharp and. Really, very, very good problem solvers, brainstormers, yeah. and most of the times we brainstorm, nothing comes out of it. But it makes for a fun conversation, and then some of those ideas stick. And I think that's uh, that's just so mentally nourishing, yeah. intellectually stimulating. You know, yeah. yeah, I would love to be in a in a setup like this. I mean, I try and replicate this uh, with yeah. either organizations outside or internally. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just such a nourishing place to be in yeah. because you are discussing things that. I mean, that's not day to day. It's more yeah. strategic. Yeah, it's almost like a research and research yeah. thing, right? You're, yeah, you're sitting and and talking in one conversation yeah. about human psychology, you know, product competition needs. Yeah, how would you do it, etc. And yeah. and then you know, there's no uh, cognitive overload yeah. to walk away with because yeah. a lot yeah. of the yeah. challenges happen because. People are afraid that they will give a new problem to solve, right? Yeah. And I already have so much on my head. So you want to create an environment where it's just general discussion, and yeah. you go away, right? You and but if you keep coming back to the same idea over yeah. and over again, then maybe there's something in it, and that's when we think about okay, should we do something about it? Yeah. <coughs> yeah. I mean, I I love the I love the whole narrative of uh, how you place yourself in the in the larger scheme of things. I think it's great. 